The OCD and Anxiety Podcast by Robert James Coaching. Hello and welcome to the OCD and Anxiety Podcast, where we explore how to have a more positive relationship with anxiety disorders, taking back control so that you can start living the life you choose and not the one chosen by your fears. Hello and welcome to episode 72. I hope you guys are doing well and if you are struggling with OCD and anxiety then you can get a free session with me. All you need to do to get that is to head over to my website www.robertjamescoaching.com. There you can leave me a message and we can organise the free session. So on with today's show. Today I interview a fascinating lady um, named Dr Lauren Cook. Dr Lauren um, is a therapist, a keynote speaker a career coach and author. She specializes in supporting people with their life transitions and the corresponding anxiety that often comes along with those changes. She is the creator of the Find Your Why, Know Your Way course, which helps millennials make efficient and effective life decisions with confidence. She is also the author of two books, Name Your Story, How to Talk Openly About Mental Health and The Sunny Side Up, Celebrating Happiness. Lauren lives in Pasadena, um, California, with her husband and Siamese cat, Mochi. If you'd like to know more about Lauren, you can find her on Instagram at Cook. I think you'll find today's conversation to be really interesting. Um, Dr. Lauren is really, uh, really passionate about her work, and that really kind of shines through. She knows, um, she knows a lot about acceptance commitment therapy and about uh, using exposure work for for OCD. But she's also, you know, a kind of um, a generalized specialist in anxiety, and so you know, she has a lot of knowledge about different areas. And uh, you know, she's clearly a very talented therapist. Towards the end of the conversation, we broach um, a topic that is perhaps um, quite controversial right now. It's uh, it's for some people, it's a difficult area to talk, to talk about, and that is related to you know health anxiety and uh, health OCD. And obviously, right now with um, the pandemic, you know it can be particularly hard for people um, who are struggling with health OCD to um, you know to actually push back against it because obviously we're getting messages from from the government from the CDC if you're in the United States uh, you know telling us that we we should be washing our hands constantly that you know we should be uh, socially distancing and um, you know we talk about actually if you've had the vaccination you know that you are quite well protected or very well protected and that you know as much as possible we still need to take precautions of course but we do need to start living our lives and so we also discuss this this area and I think this is a this is a really important area not just for people actually who are struggling with with OCD but for for absolutely everyone so I hope you find it helpful today if you have any questions as always do please let me know and I hope you enjoy. Many thanks. Hi, Lauren. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on, Rob. It's good to be here today. 
That's great to have you on. So to start off with, can you just tell everyone um, a little bit about yourself, please? Absolutely. So hey, everybody, I'm Lauren Cook. I'm Dr. Lauren Cook. I'm a therapist, speaker and author. And I really love specializing in working with anxiety, OCD, phobias, anything in that anxious wheelhouse that we often think about. And I primarily work with people in their 20s and 30s going through those major life changes both professionally and personally a lot happens in those two decades uh, with relationships dating breakups starting families marriage and then also personally right everything from college to starting a job and figuring out what you want to do for your career so I, yeah. I love the work that I get to do and I'm excited to get to spend some time with you today oh fantastic that's no, really nice to have you on and um you know, actually, I'm about to come out of those two decades in, uh, you know, in two months time. So um, I'm awesome. uh, preparing That's myself, awesome. but you're, you're spot on, you know, a lot happened to me in those uh, two decades. It was uh, definitely a trying and testing time, but but also, you know, a lot of good stuff happens in those decades as well. So yeah, definitely. Um, okay, so why did you why did you decide to specialize in anxiety? Well, you know, I think a lot of therapists will tell you that in a way we have our own wounded healing that we do. And I myself live with anxiety. I, you know, I didn't really realize at first how, how much it was impacting my life. You know, a lot of people living with anxiety can be very high functioning to the point where they mask their symptoms so much that they don't necessarily even realize all the coping strategies they're doing to minimize their anxiety mm. and you know i think during the pandemic i really saw my anxiety come much more into play but but i myself live with a phobia i have a metaphobia um, which sometimes can look very similar to some ocd like behaviors and tendencies a metaphobia is actually a phobia of vomit which sounds kind of silly but if anybody listening has had a phobia or if anybody has ever experienced ocd you can say rationally all day, hey, this doesn't make sense, but on a deep, almost instinctual level, it can feel very threatening. So it's something that I've lived with basically before I even had conscious memory. Mm. It's something I've done treatment for. And so I think I have a really, a, a pretty profound experience of empathy for people living with anxiety because I live with it myself. Yeah, and, and this is the thing, you know, just that everyone experiences anxiety at some point in their life. Um, you know, OCD is obviously the extreme version of that. But the, the good news in a way is, you know, everyone can at least empathize up to a certain point because everybody does experience um, anxiety. And actually, it's quite interesting what you were just saying there about menophobia, because I was speaking to somebody about this the other day. And um, yeah, it's uh, I'd never heard of it at, at, you know, at all until they mentioned it to me and I looked it up and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's something that can obviously come from, I imagine, from a, a young childhood experience, no, and uh, it's something along those those terms. Oh, yeah, no, I know exactly what it is for, for myself. And, you know, my mom had stage three breast cancer when I was two years old. And so oh, well, yeah. during that time, I have no conscious memory of her being sick, honestly, but mm. I had this phobia for as long as I can remember. And obviously when you have cancer, you're getting sick quite a lot. And I'm sure as a young child, not knowing why is my mom so sick and all these different things. So I've done a lot of therapy to realize, you know, I really internalized 
vomit and sickness is one, a loss of control and, and two, like associating it with death in a way, even mm. though, you know, so grateful my mom is healthy and well today. Um, you know, I'm 30 years old now and she's doing great, but you yeah, know, you internalize things at a young age and it's yeah. true. Pedophobia, there are some, a lot of people actually who experience it and there's almost a community of us um, because if you know, you know, uh, just how hard it can be sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And, um, you know, one of your areas that you really like to talk about and that you like to, to work on is, is obviously OCD. Um, how, like, um, if you're working with somebody with, with OCD, I mean, you, you mentioned that you work with acceptance commitment therapy. Um, can you tell us a bit about how you would use ACT with, uh, with people who are struggling with OCD? Yeah, well, we were talking before we hit record how much we both love ACT. And I find that ACT is just so incredibly helpful for OCD because here's the thing about OCD. The thoughts are going to be the thoughts. Sometimes they're going to pop in our head and, and we don't like that. But oftentimes if we're not one, familiar with what OCD can look like and two, if we haven't built an acceptance framework for it, we often add in that layer of shame or frustration with ourselves for having the thoughts. And that just exacerbates the symptoms and intensifies that feedback loop. So, so much of the initial piece of integrating act is acceptance of like, yeah, I'm having this thought of, you know, harming someone, or I'm having this thought of, am I gay, right? I mean, OCD can manifest in so many different thoughts. It's not just, you know, fear of germs as people think it is. There's a lot of thought obsessions that come up for people of anything the brain has internalized as something personally taboo, right? Uh, and we can get more into that. But but yeah, so much of it is just building in that acceptance piece and normalizing, hey, we all have thoughts sometimes. The brain does funky things. Let's practice acceptance of that. And then counterintuitively, that often really reduces the anxiety. Yeah, it's interesting because everyone does have intrusive thoughts sometimes. And when we struggle with OCD, we often think, well, nobody has thoughts like these. And, and actually, it's kind of proven, you know, lots of research has shown that, you know, just about everybody has intrusive thoughts. And the difference between someone who struggles and someone who doesn't struggle with OCD is the non-struggler just doesn't take these thoughts seriously. When they come up, they think that's a strange thought or I wonder where that came from, but very quickly they're able to put it in its place and get back on again. But if you're really struggling, then it's very hard um, to do that, which kind of leads on to my next kind of question, which is obviously related to ACT uh, because it's about acceptance. And, you know, acceptance is, uh, you know, probably one of the most important things in my book when it comes to, you know, anxiety problems. And, um, it's it's a hard thing. It's a bit cliche almost when it comes to anxiety these days because it's a word that's thrown around the place all the time. And although it's very important, it's not easy to do. How would you how would you suggest people um, can best go around learning about acceptance um, for anxiety? Yeah. Well, one thing I love about ACT is the use of metaphor. Uh, I love to think metaphorically, and I find that it's another way to bring it, the concepts alive. One of my favorite metaphors that I love to use when we talk about acceptance is thinking of, you know, us being in this situation like we're in a plane, 
and there's turbulence, right? There's anxiety, there's the obsessive thoughts, whatever it may be. And we can be that passenger in the plane that's gripping onto our seat, shaking it, freaking ourselves out. What the heck is this? I'm so scared with this turbulence. Or we can be that person sitting in the seat saying, you know what? I'm feeling the turbulence. Let me sit back and pretend I'm a baby being rocked back and forth in this. And that's a little bit of the shift in perspective. You know, we can't always control what happens to us. I think this year is such an example of that. Can't always control the intrusive thoughts that happen for us, but we can choose how we respond to it. We can choose to feel less threatened by it. And that to me is one of my favorite parts of working with OCD is just normalizing and letting people know, hey, it's okay that you're having these thoughts. It doesn't mean you're quote a bad person or that something is wrong with you. It's just the brain doing its thing. And if we start to take that power away from it, if we start to lean back into it, we often really see that those thoughts become so much less threatening. Absolutely, yeah. So it's it's a bit of two things really, isn't it? It's actually practically you know, experiencing that learning learning that it's okay to experience these difficult emotions and feelings and and actually you know still get on with your life like kind of not actually you know give up on stuff because those feelings are there still do those things that are perhaps you know maybe they're difficult you know because they do make you nervous um but at the same time they 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 make you nervous because you know they are important to you you know if they weren't important to you then you wouldn't feel nervous about them. And so, it, you know, if we don't do those things, then actually what we're doing is we're making our, our world a bit smaller. And sadly, you know, that's one of the things that happens when people are really struggling, I think, and they're not, maybe they're not getting support and, you know, they're not making progress in, in improving it. Um, which again is why I think ACT is so powerful because, um, you know, it addresses that if you are struggling and you're not, you know, you're not focusing on your values because the anxiety is so bad that, you know, you're not able to, or you feel like you're not able to, to do those things anymore, because although they're important to you, they give you a lot of anxiety. And, um, you know, so I think ACT is really important for that. Can you, can you kind of tell us a bit about how people can, can use that side of ACT, you know, working on their values, focusing in on what's most important to them so that, you know, they, they don't stop doing these things that, that give life meaning and help them to, you know, to overcome some of their battles. Right. No, I love that you bring that up because that's that's the commitment part in acceptance and commitment therapy is committing to still living a meaningful life. And that's what I love, kind of the no BS approach of ACT and saying, look, you will have anxiety sometimes. We're not going to mm. tell you this magic prescription that your anxiety is going to just poof, go away and including with OCD, right? So instead of trying to just make it all go away, how do we still commit to a meaningful life, even knowing that the symptoms may be there sometimes? Yeah. How do we not let that anxiety or OCD win? And that's where values really come into the mix, right? Of what do you value? What matters to you in your life? How do we help you keep showing up rather than, you know, really giving into the suffering of your symptoms, right? I love how ACT differentiates the difference between pain and suffering. We all have pain in our life. We all have challenges. We all have symptoms. But are you adding in that extra layer of suffering where you're stopping yourself from living a meaningful life? And I love, I just, I love the realness of that approach and act. 
Yeah, that's that's absolutely absolutely spot on. I think it's kind of it incorporates so many things. Obviously, it's based on on mindfulness and uh, which comes obviously from Buddhism, but you know it's also related to kind of Stoicism and, and Stoic thought as well. Um, you know, like certain things are going to happen in life, and uh, you know we can't help that. Um, but we do have a choice as to how we how we deal with it. We can go along with it and make the best of the situation, or we can drag our feet and uh, you know make it a lot harder than it than it needs to be. And yeah, so yeah, I think it's uh, I think I spot on there. Now the the other thing to mention, obviously, with with OCD and and uh, anxiety in general. Which I know you 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 know you specialize uh, across the board with many different um, anxiety disorders, uh, social anxiety, and um, generalized anxiety, and other things as well. So um, you know, but obviously exposure work is incredibly important as well, and you know has a lot of research to back it up. Can you tell us a bit about exposure, um, you know, for anxiety in general? Why why that's so important? Because obviously it can be very hard to do. Um, <laughs> but it's, right. yeah. oh my goodness, I have yeah. so much empathy for it because I've gone through the treatment process myself. And, you know, I think exposure, it's very nuanced because it can, it can quickly become harmful if it's not done correctly. Mm. Um, but I'll backtrack a little bit here. You know, it's really interesting because if you look at cognitive behavioral therapy, it's that triangle, right? Our thoughts impact our feelings, impact our behaviors. And cognitive therapy would maybe postulate a bit more of like change your and challenge your thoughts. And that will in turn change how you feel and how you act. Mm. What I really love about exposure therapy is that the intervention comes more on the behavioral side, which I love because listen, we can try positive talking our brain all day. I think that's probably why we're seeing a toxic positivity movement because the brain is very smart and you can tell yourself counter thoughts all day. But often the brain needs that hard evidence that comes through behavior where mm. it starts to say, oh, maybe I can start to think about this differently. But we kind of have to give ourselves the physical proof that we can operate differently in our world. Yeah. So that's why I love exposure therapy, because let's say somebody has social anxiety. Hey, we can positive talk it or try and challenge your thoughts. But until you're in a social setting, setting and you get to challenge that and see how you can try different social techniques. Mm. that's when you're going to start to see the thoughts changing. And okay. obviously exposure is so, so common in OCD work, but I will speak to this part that I was saying in the beginning, it has to be nuanced in that the client really needs to know that it's going to be challenging treatment and the client really needs to feel safe and empowered in the process. You know, I've, I've been through exposure work myself where I had a therapist try and make me throw up for my exposure therapy for my emetophobia. It was horrible. It was yeah. horrible. Yeah. It was the worst symptoms I've ever had. Mm. So it really has to be done in a very thoughtful and safe way where the client feels really safe and empowered in the process. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, sometimes I get people contacting me and, and, and saying, you know, look, I really want to do exposure work. I'm planning on doing this you know, it's going to be really hard. Like, how, how should I do it? And I'm just like, no, just don't, don't do it. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's so important, so important to, to build up very slowly. I think, you know, have a hierarchy you know, of, of exposures that you're going to do and, and work with somebody, um, you know, that's going to help you with that because, 
like you just said, you know, if you if 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 the, if the person gives you something, or if you give yourself an exposure that's let's uh, an eight or nine or a ten out of ten, then yeah, I mean, you can just make it even worse. You can you can put yourself off. You know, maybe you'd got to a point where you were willing to try to do exposure, but having done something that's a nine or a ten out of ten, you could actually put yourself off for a, for a long time from trying it again. So it's it's great that people are willing to put themselves out there um you know if you are if you are like kind of thinking of doing this that that's great that you have that motivation but yeah it's definitely worth slowing down though and and choosing the right exposures um working it out and and doing it carefully and then you know slowly over time like you were saying i love what you were saying about you know the brain recognizes the behavior and this is so true the subconscious is very smart it, it's going to recognize if you're just telling yourself you know like i'm not scared, scared of this i'm not scared of this that okay fine but in reality unless you're willing to face that fear you know it's going to be hard for you to acclimatize to it no yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. It, it has to be that careful dance. You know, it's, it's the both and I, I love integrating dialectical work. That's a little more DBT, but you know, that both end of, of challenging yourself, you know, gently pushing yourself and also honoring where you're at at the same time and being okay with where you're at. I think it's that really careful balance. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Great. And um, so whatever, apart from OCD, you know, you work with, with what other areas of anxiety do you like to, to specialize in? Yeah, I love working with social anxiety. I think that's really fun work. Generalized anxiety. There's so many people who are just worrying on such a daily basis. Mm. And then panic is something I really enjoy working with too, because panic, phobia, OCD, you know, these, these anxiety, I don't like to call them disorders, but these anxiety experiences we have can be very physically based more than sometimes what we see with, with some other experiences. And so I love working with, you know, when your heart's racing, nausea, peace, all of that, and sometimes really integrating an interdisciplinary approach, right? Because a lot of times with, with OCD, with anxiety, there can be physical elements going on. Even I'm always having my clients get your blood work done. Like let's make, there's not, make sure there's not something going on with even your blood levels that can be impacting these symptoms or certainly mm. exacerbating these symptoms. Mm. Um, so I love incorporating all of that in the work because physical part of it is so, so much a lot of the time. Yeah. What do you, um, how would you find, I mean, it's really interesting what you're saying there, because, you know, it's, it's taking more of a holistic approach, you know, and, and saying, okay, yeah, there's, you know, anxiety is multifaceted. There's, there's many reasons for why you could be experiencing it. Um, you know, some people obviously struggle with, you know, addictions and, uh, and different things. And even if they don't struggle with addictions, for example, alcohol, uh, is something that I even notice in myself, you know, if I, if I do like, um, you know, drink sometimes, you know, like, uh, I do notice that the next day, I will have, you know, more anxiety. And um, that is, you know, that's quite a common experience for many people. I'm not talking about obviously getting completely drunk. And then, you know, like kind of having a massive hangover and feeling terrible the next day and obviously having a very high level of anxiety. But it is noticeable, you know, just having a couple of drinks, you know, can affect your sleep. 
uh, you know, you if you don't sleep so well, you wake up feeling more irritated, you know, generally more kind of anxious. Um, and and it's funny as well how if you can if that happens and you wake up in the morning and then you have I don't know like a bad thing happens to you in the morning because you're kind of frustrated or you're anxious or whatever. It's amazing how quickly an experience like that can suddenly flavor the rest of your day. And for me, I think uh, anxiety from my own personal experiences is about trying to string together lots of good experiences with dealing with it, you know, because if you can nip it in the bud, uh, to use that kind of phrase, it's, you know, you can save yourself so much, um, so much worrying, so much unnecessary, uh, you know, bad feeling. And all it takes really is, is looking after yourself in general, you know, because if you're not doing that, if you are like drinking too much habitually, you're not getting enough sleep, uh, maybe not eating the right food, it's much more likely that you're going to string together a lot of bad experiences instead of good ones that, you know, can end up fla uh, flavoring not just your day, but, you know, weeks at a time. And so looking after ourselves is, is incredibly important, I think. Oh, I, I completely agree. And I think it's getting curious of why are we looking for different things to be the temporary antidote, whether it's mm. eating that cupcake or, you know, it makes me think about a client I worked with who was having pretty intense OCD symptoms um, of am I gay? I mentioned that as an example in the mm. beginning of the podcast. Now, my perspective being gay is totally fine, but sometimes with OCD, we have that thought of like, oh, that would be, they, the client perceives it as that would be hard in my life. And mm. the client, they identified as a straight person, but they were having this thought of, am I gay? Am I gay? Mm. And it was getting to the point where their compulsive behavior was, I, they physically couldn't look at other men. Yeah. Because of how it triggered the symptoms. And yeah. the client would start drinking excessively as a way to, to tame down those, those thoughts that were coming up. They, yeah. they noticed that was when their thoughts would intensify less so. Yeah. And so, you know, it's really interesting, right, to get curious about what is the drinking piece, because um, I've definitely seen that happen with OCD in particular sometimes where we can use substances like cannabis or alcohol to try and mute those obsessive thoughts for a little while. But you're right, it, it just exacerbates it even more so later on, and it creates this cycle. Um, yeah, the feedback loop. Drinking yeah. as the antidote when it's really not. Yeah, I think what we're looking for, you know, when we when we drink or when even when we use things like food or whatever substance it might be to try to make ourselves feel better, uh, particularly if you do struggle with OCD or, you know, some kind of intense anxiety is that, you know, you're looking for some kind of peace of mind for a short while. You, you just want that feeling to be gone for a little bit, you know, to have maybe a little bit of certainty for, for a little while. And, you know, and actually, as long as alcohol isn't a problem in your life, you know, I think actually there's nothing wrong with that sometimes to occasionally escape a little bit. But yeah, it's when it becomes habitual um, or when it when it's too much that it becomes a problem. Yeah, um, yeah I really agree. Um, and uh, I wanted to ask you as well, because obviously you're interested, you know, very much interested in, in ACT and um, a big part of ACT is, is also mindfulness and, and meditation. Um, and so 
I'm really interested in this kind of, you know, the observing self, um, mm. you know, which we, we talk a lot about in, in ACT. How important do you think it is that people learn to, to kind of tune into that part of themselves, that observing self, that kind of curious part, the, the part that just wants to, to understand the feeling a bit more surrounding anxiety? How important is, is that, do you think? it's hugely important and I think it's something it's a skill because often we really are so enmeshed with our thoughts and feelings we don't even realize we're having different thoughts sometimes mm. and so one thing I love about that mindful observation stance is I'm noticing that I'm having the thought of this or that right rather than I'm having this thought what does this mean blah 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 right I'm noticing that. And suddenly we start to see that things become so much less threatening because we're not our thoughts anymore. We start learning that a thought is just a thought. It doesn't mean it's an absolute truth. And that is where that curiosity piece comes in. And I think that's when we often see less heightened, intense emotional reactivity because we are starting to step away and pull away from those thoughts. We're not seeing it as who we truly are. We're just merely noticing it. So I, I love incorporating mindfulness in my work. It's pretty rare that I don't have a session where I'm not doing some kind of mindfulness exercise with a client. And I do the exercises with my clients. Um, mm. I think it's important, you know, as a therapist that I have my own daily regular practice as well. But um, no, I, I think that mindfulness is a skill that all of us can be integrating on a daily basis. Mm. If, um, if someone's really struggling in the moment with quite intense anxious thoughts or even like kind of panic is there like a, an activity that you would like a mindfulness kind of activity that you would recommend that people could use in in that moment just to try and help them to you know to anchor a little bit more to come back into the present yeah absolutely well we could do a whole podcast episode about <laughs> that but you know in that moment I really I tell people first things first you've got to know what you need and often there's two routes people go so sometimes people prefer more being with someone else so sometimes that can mean calling someone on the phone if you're not physically with someone or even if you are with someone physically grabbing a hand you want to start engaging in grounding exercises that bring you back into your body and a little bit more out of your head other people prefer to be alone that's kind of how I tend to roll I, I prefer to be alone if I'm feeling panicky and if that's the case for you to put on some music that's helpful for you yeah. yes Focus on the breath sometimes, but again, I have some clients tell me where focusing on the breath actually exacerbates the anxiety sometimes. So it can be helpful when it's really heightened to have more distracting techniques, hmm. whether that's grounding, I'm, I'm sitting here grabbing a candle, right? Grabbing something tangible. Uh, and also using temperature actually can be really helpful. So getting something cold, placing it on the forehead that stimulates the vagus nerve, which starts to set that parasympathetic slowing system in place. So those are just a few things to kind of get the ball rolling uh, when maybe the ball is actually rolling too fast down the hill. So I should say slow the ball rolling. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's really good advice. Um, if, you, uh, if you could only give um, one piece of advice, though, to people who are struggling <laughs> with, uh, you know, with anxiety in general, you know, from your experiences of working, as a you know as a doctor helping people with with you know with anxiety what would like what would that one piece of advice be 
Oh, that's a great question. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I've been reflecting a lot lately because my grandma is about to turn 90 this weekend, which I'm so excited about. Wow. And, you know, her favorite saying, and I, I'm not going to lie, I always used to kind of roll my eyes at it because it was like her, her tagline. And I'd be like, Grandma, that's your advice for everything. But now as I've gotten older, I've seen, wow, it's really so true. And the, the phrase being, this too shall pass. Mm. And I think of it in two ways. One, when a client is going through a time when they're panicking, when, when honestly we get to a point in OCD or anxiety where it feels hopeless, right? When it feels like it's never going to end, it does get better. It can get better. The intense symptoms, if anybody's listening today and they're struggling, this too shall pass. That's a big reason why I love working with anxiety conditions is that they're incredibly treatable. They're well-researched. We're constantly looking at ways to refine the treatments. It can get better. And I see it with my clients all the time. I've seen it in my own life when I've gotten to that helpless place that it does get better. And the other way that I look at this too shall pass is that anytime there is good moments happening, anytime there's opportunities for gratitude, I try and hold on to it that much tighter and really soak it up like a piece of bread with olive oil, because guess what? This too shall pass. And so any beautiful moment happening in my life, I try and savor that and not wish it away. So this too shall pass. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. You know, I think it's a really positive message uh, to send out there. It's ab and absolutely true. It's the one thing about anxiety and about life in general as well that you know is is always true that it's always changing and it's never staying still you know and and actually with anxiety you know if you if you are willing to just pay attention to it and truly observe it what you will notice is from having that general kind of willingness to observe it that it it that feeling will come down you know by having that willingness to observe it and 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 that kind of deeper intuition that you know that it will pass you know that mm -hmm. yeah so yeah that's really good and one more question um obviously right now with the pandemic um we're getting you know like a very contradictory um information uh you know in regards to uh, the virus and, uh, you know, what is the best uh, approach to dealing with it. Uh, you know, in, in the UK, for example, it seems that every week the government comes up with like, you know, new plans and new things they want people to do. And uh, just when people get used to doing one thing, then suddenly they're being told to do something else. And it's, you know, often the completely, complete opposite to what they were doing before. You know, and it can feel like, you know, nobody knows really what's going on. And um, and so for someone with obviously with OCD or health anxiety, it's incredibly challenging right now. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, many clients that I work with are struggling, struggling with 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 that. Um, do you have I know it's, it's difficult to say, but do you do you have any any kind of advice for, for people right now who might be struggling with, you know, health health related OCD or anxiety, you know, to do with to do with the pandemic, you know, and it's 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 a difficult, um, it's difficult, because obviously, you want to follow the advice and the guidelines that we're, we're given. But sometimes the advice and the guidelines can can even perpetuate, you know, the problem itself. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really tricky. 
Ooh, it is so, so tricky. And I don't know about you, Rob, but I've noticed that, you know, a lot of practitioners and honestly myself included have been pretty mum on this issue because I think we're all like, oh shoot, like the treatment we would normally be doing for health anxiety is now being completely thrown out the window, right? Mm -hmm. Like normally with health anxiety, we would either do be, be doing some exposures to show people, hey, you're, you're okay, right? You can, you can get through it. Or we'd be doing some distress tolerance skills of sitting with and working with that anxiety and not always excessively engaging in the healthcare system, mm. right? It's something yes. like frequent checking as a part of the behaviors. Mm. So I think a lot of people in our field have been like, oh, shoot, how do I navigate this? <laughs> yeah, it's really unfortunate yeah. in a way. Yeah. It's really, really tricky. And, mm. and I agree, you know. I may have a very unpopular opinion here, so we'll see how people respond to this, but a big part of my work with my clients is helping them know that they're resilient and helping them sit with the reality that pain and, and fear, and even, yes, I'm going to say it, death is a part of life. Risk is a part of life. And if we don't start to grapple with that, obviously in a safe way, right? But if we don't start to grapple with that, we are going to see that agoraphobia, people not wanting to leave their homes, right? Is going to go through the roof, right? Because now nothing feels safe anymore. Mm. And I think we have to start really having a mindful conversation about risk and quality of life. Right. Because, you know, I'm now having clients who are fully vaccinated saying, well, there's still a 1% chance that I could get COVID and die. And it's like, there's so many 1% chances, right? As I get into a car, as I walk down the street, there is a 1% chance, right? And yet, at what point do you still want to live that quality of life? That comes back to that act principle, right? That we talk about of there's pain, there's loss in life, and yet how do you still live a meaningful life in accordance with your values? We all have a different set point in that. But I think this past year, we've essentially had a year of no exposure, of no practice, of engaging in the things that bring us anxiety. So mm. our threshold right now is so, so low. Yeah. And I think we should expect this year that we're going to see a lot more anxiety than even before because we were already engaging with risk in our daily lives, right? But now it just feels so, so scary to engage. So it's, I think it's gonna be a tough, uh, tough situation for a lot of us practitioners, <laughs> sounds like maybe for both of us, because it's a really tricky dance between res respecting where people are at, respecting safety protocols, and also respecting how to live an engaging quality of life. I'm curious your thoughts to hearing my response to that. No, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I think you, I think you summed it up really well because, you know, it's a, it's a difficult area to discuss to a certain extent, you know, because you don't want, you know, you don't want to uh, belittle any, anybody's fears or anything like that. But the way you explained it there, you know, you said it perfectly, you know, we do need to have a mindful, a mindful discussion and, and the focus should be on mindfulness because we really do need to be very calm and rational and, you know, really take into uh, account everybody's views on this. But yeah, we do need to live our lives, you know, and of course, you know, anxiety is a terrible problem, um, you know, and 
but you know the realities of of life are you know that we do have to grapple with some of these bigger questions uh that you were you, that you were talking about there and it's uh you know it's it's not easy to accept that um but you know the quality of life that many people are living right now is you know is yeah, a lot worse than it was a year and a half ago. And, right. you know, and anxiety, unfortunately, for many people is, is going through the roof. And, you know, one of the ways people can can learn to, to overcome to overcome that in the future, is to start getting back into their lives to start getting outdoors again, you know, to go back to the workplace, and, you know, to learn how to tolerate that very, very small you know, risk that they might have, you know, because once people have been vaccinated, like you were just saying, you know, the risk is very small. And so, yeah, I think we do need to have to be having this discussion. I think it's great that we're able to talk about it here. Um, you know, because I'm, I'm sure there's many people listening who are struggling around this area. Um, and uh, yeah, so I, I think I think you summed it up perfectly. I didn't I didn't do it much justice, but uh, <laughs> I think it's great to ask that question because I think a lot of a lot of our fields is like, ooh, I don't know what to say on this. Yeah. Uh, so I appreciate you leaning into the dialogue. <laughs> great, um, Lauren. Uh, thank you uh, for coming on. It's been really great talking to you. If people want to get in touch with you, what can they do? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm really active on Instagram. That's where I post a lot of daily mental health content and support. If people are looking to work with me with coaching, uh, reach out to me. I'm at drlaurencook.com. I can only see therapy clients in the state of California. Uh, we have our licensing laws here, but um, but love to take on some new coaching clients as well. And I'm super excited because I'm getting ready to launch a course this May called Find Your Why, Know Your Way. It's all about helping people make effective values-based decisions. So check that out. And I'm excited to get in touch with, with anybody listening where this resonated. Amazing. That's great. Thank you so much. Please remember, if you are struggling with OCD and anxiety, you can get a free consultation uh, with me. All you need to do to get that is to head over to my website, www.robertjamescoaching.com and uh, send me a message and we, we can sort that out. And if you like, you can also follow me on Instagram uh, at Robert James Coaching UK. Many thanks. And now just a quick reminder of my disclaimer. Any information that you view on my website, Instagram page, Facebook group, or anywhere else online, or any information that you listen to on the podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for actual medical or mental health advice from a doctor, psychologist, or any other medical or mental health professional.